So I'm going to have a hard time focusing today after I taste it. I'm like a shark with blood in the water. But anyway, guys, uh, we're in Acts chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and, and turn there. If you're new or visiting, as you heard, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and we're just really grateful to have you here at Doxa today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd, we'd love to give you one. We talk about this all the time, but we have Bibles out on our welcome table. You could grab one on your way out. As you come to Doxa, this is kind of like one of the things. Every family kind of has their thing, right? We're, we're like Bible people. We're Jesus people. And so we'd love for you to feel welcome. And as we open up the Bible every week together, we'd love to give you one to, to go through with us. So you can grab that. But guys, here's where we're at today. All right. We're, we're continuing our study of, of the book of Acts. And as we continue this, okay, I, I want to remind you of kind of like the nature of this book and, and what we're in, in effect doing as we study it. Okay. Because if you remember, the, the book of Acts is a history book which really just kind of shows us what was going on in the, the life of the early church after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended back into heaven. But, but it's important for us to, to know this, okay? Guys, while, while Acts is a historical book, all right, its history is not just for the sake of information, but it's ultimately for the sake of mission. That Acts is, is not just like looking at how Christianity began and how the early church grew, but it's actually a study of the person and the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit and what he did, but what he continues to do in our world today. And this is really what we've been seeing as we've been going through Acts so far, that the Holy Spirit of God empowers people to continue the mission of God and all that Jesus started. I mean, this is what we're seeing week after week, passage after passage as we go through Acts. And, and I just want you to remember, guys, when we talk about, like, the, the mission of God, this, this big topic, really, this is, like, kind of, like, what we're all about, right? We, we can say a ton about this, but really, we can boil the mission of God down to two things, Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. Like, this is what it's all about. And I say this, I know you guys are like, you say the same thing every single week. Guys, I do. I'm not that smart, but I also latch on to really important things. And we need to have this truth, like, seared into our minds, because this is why we exist as a church, Jesus and people. Now, know this, guys. As we're looking at the book of Acts, looking at the Holy Spirit and, and how he has moved through history and how he's continuing to move, what the Holy Spirit did and how the Holy Spirit worked in Acts is the way that he wants to work in Madison. And what the Holy Spirit did through the people in Acts is the way that he wants to continue doing work of the people here at Doxa in the city of Madison. And so as we look at the book of Acts, guys, we're, we're not just looking through it through like a, a lens of like a nostalgic view, like, wow, that was amazing what happened back then. That's just incredible, like amazing things. But what we're doing instead is we're kind of looking through the lens of the future. As we're leaning into the future and looking at the future, we're asking the question of like, what might God want to do through Doxa Church? What might God want to do through a family that's on God's mission here in our great city of Madison? This is what we're doing, Okay. Now, all that being said, because here's where we're at as we, as we get into Acts chapter 4 today, it's really just been like an incredibly exciting journey as we've gone through the first couple chapters. We've watched the Holy Spirit come and fill and empower the early followers of Jesus. As a result of this, we, we watched this beautiful new community rise up called the church, and it was just this awesome community that was just starting to flourish then we watch the Holy Spirit kind of do some miraculous things. I mean, people are getting physically healed, right? The Peter, the leader of the church, he's preaching sermons. And after every sermon, like thousands of people are saying yes to Jesus. I mean, really exciting, miraculous, like these incredible things that we're watching happen. And now here's what's going to happen today in Acts 4. We're going to basically see Newton's third law of motion. 
Are you guys remember that from 10th grade physics? Anybody does? Like for every action, there's an equal or opposite reaction. Are you remember that? So guys, as far as I know, that's true in the world of physics. But guys, this is actually true spiritually as well. And here's what I mean, okay? As you look at Acts, here's what we see happen. God does something great. And then opposition comes. Like people are like miraculously healed and more opposition rises up. Like a bunch of people meet Jesus and even more opposition comes. The church starts to flourish and grow rapidly and move forward, fulfilling the mission of God. And even more opposition rises up. Guys, this is what we continue to see through the book of Acts. And as we continue reading this, guys, as the church grows and moves forward, it does so with like an increasingly strong opposition and persecution. And today we're going to see the first of this opposition and the first of this persecution of the church and really just the, the start of the persecution of Christians, which still exists around the world today. And, and this isn't a surprise for us because if we remember back to the gospels, Jesus said that the church would experience this. In John 15, Verse 18, Jesus says, like, if the world hates you, don't be surprised because it hated me first. He goes on to say, if they persecute you, they will persecute you because they've persecuted me. All right, this is what's happening here in, in Acts chapter 4. The apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, anyone who strives to live a godly life will be persecuted. So guys, we just need to understand that as we seek to live and follow Jesus in our world, this is going to be like our life. Right, that if you follow Jesus and you actually seek to live like Jesus, your life is just going to be peppered with opposition and persecution. Now, depending on, on your position and like where you live in the world, this is going to dictate how severe it will be for you. You know, for example, in places like Malaysia, in North Korea, I mean, the, there's people like Christians like being dipped in acid and like tortured. There's people being killed. There's like pastors and missionaries just like going missing and they are never seen again. You can go, there's a great website I encourage you guys to look at called Voice of the Martyrs that really kind of tracks like how all this persecution is happening and lets us know how we can pray for these Christians around the world, our brothers and sisters, the family of God, how we can pray for them and even give to alleviate some of their suffering. But here in America, guys, it's probably not going to be our story, at least for the next couple of years. But right now, we're probably just going to experience like a more like emotional and like relational type of, of persecution that, that people will hate you, right? People will make fun of you, maybe even discriminate against you, but likely you're not going to be killed. But as we watch these early Christians experience persecution in Acts 4, guys, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see what they're made of, right? Because here's the truth about life, guys. When we go through hard times, we oftentimes show our true colors. You found that to be true in your life? That when we're squeezed by life, what's inside of us comes out of us. And these Christians here in Acts 4, as we watch them, they're, they're being squeezed by persecution, and we're going to see what's inside of them. And as we watch this happen, we're, gonna, we're given really the answer to a question that we should have been asking, we should be asking, since we started this study. But if you remember back, okay, if you want to flip back a page and go to Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus he gives kind of like the, the thesis statement, the, the big verse of, that sums up the book of Acts. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so this is the big question that we're, we're wrestling with. Okay, like what does it look like to, to be a witness? 
Because if you're a Christian, you are in fact a witness. But the question is, is like, do you actually know what that means? And are you marked by the true marks of a witness for Jesus? And so today is going to be really helpful while we watch this early church get squeezed and we see what's inside of them. All right, because we're going to see four marks of a witness, okay? So four things that should mark all of our lives if we claim to be Christians, if we claim to be following Jesus. And the first mark is this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down, is that a witness is convinced. All right, chapter four, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus. I want you to circle Jesus. The resurrection, circle of resurrection, from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So guys, here's the, here's the scene, okay? In chapter 3, which we, we looked at last week, we, we see like a, a crippled man, a, a lame, crippled beggar who had just been miraculously healed. And at this point, he's, he's running around the temple, he's praising God, and everybody is looking at this guy, knowing that a miracle just happened. And in the midst of this, okay, as people are gathering around, thousands of people are gathering around, seeing this crippled man now running around leaping, Peter, the, the early church leader, he stands up, and he basically tells them, guys, Jesus did this. And this crowd is like so big that all the religious and the political leaders of the time are kind of seeing like thousands of people over there and they're saying like, what is, what is going on? And so they go over there to check it out and we see in verse one that the priests and the Sadducees are there. And it's important for us just to know a little bit about this. The Sadducees were, were kind of like the leaders of this, this growing opposition to the church. They were a, a very small group, but a very powerful group of Jewish leaders that were very connected to the Roman Empire, and they, and they really kind of sought cooperation between the Jews and, and the Romans. And the Sadducees, as a people, they, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And even more than that, they rejected the idea that Jesus was God. And so, needless to say, like, they're not real big fans of Jesus. They're not fans of Jesus' people. They're not big fans of Peter telling everybody these two things, right? And this is, in fact, why the Sadducees worked so hard to get Jesus killed, but we see here, like, Peter, he's preaching, and these, these Sadducees, they're, they're getting annoyed. They're, they're getting worked up because Peter is, is telling people, Jesus is God, and he rose from the dead. And as he's preaching this, he's going against, like, the fundamental beliefs of the Sadducees. And what he was doing, guys, is he was threatening their authority as religious leaders. And, and the Sadducees, they, they had to have been thinking, like, okay, I thought by killing Jesus we were gonna kind of wipe out and squash this movement of God. But here they're, they're getting annoyed because they're finding that Jesus' followers are actually just continuing what he started. And since the Sadducees under Roman rule had almost like unlimited power over the temple, they arrested Peter and John, threw them in jail, but not before a couple thousand people came to Jesus. Now, here's what's true of John and Peter and all the rest of the apostles. This is only the beginning of the persecution that they would experience because of their faith in Jesus. I mean, all of the apostles except for John were executed for their faith. Paul was beheaded. History records that Peter was crucified upside down. And even more, like, this, this execution and torture of, of, of Christians wasn't just for, like, Christian leaders, but this was like the everyday Christian was, were being killed in this day, like, by the thousands, 
I mean, history records like the actions of like the emperor Nero. If you remember this story, like he had these big like kind of gladiator games in the Colosseum and he wanted them to go all night, but they didn't have electricity and lights, so they had to have some, some way to do it. And so what they would do is they would round up all the Christians, the people that professed and confessed to follow Jesus, they would tar them, they would impale them, and they would put them all around the Colosseum and light them on fire and burn them alive so that they could still have the gladiator games. Like this is the persecution that was happening in those days. It wasn't like you're just weird. They were being killed. But here's the question, guys. Why would all these people die like this? I mean, like, why wouldn't they just kind of say, okay, you know what? He got me. Like, it was all made up. Like, I don't want to literally lose my head over this. And so it's over, right? Jesus was our friend. We were kind of just, like, doing this thing, trying to get, like, people to follow. Like, I confess. I made it up. It's over. Guys, no one did that. Why? Because they were utterly convinced. They're utterly convinced. And if you look back, we get insight on what did it for him. Look back to verse 2. It was Jesus and his resurrection. And guys, I want to submit to you that this is the same thing that honestly does it for me. As a Christian and as a witness, I'm absolutely convinced by the historicity of the resurrection. And for me, this stands as one of the biggest reasons that I, I believe in and, and follow Jesus. Like I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, that, that I don't merely follow Jesus because of what he said, but I follow Jesus because of what he did. That Jesus said that he would be killed, and then he said that he would not stay dead. He would raise back to life, and in doing so, he validated everything that he said. That he showed himself to be God after he proclaimed himself to be God. And he beat death. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus validates that everything that he said about himself and humanity is emphatically true. Because hear this, guys, the truth of the matter is, is if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. However, if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sin." Because apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there's no savior, there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no hope of eternal life with God. That apart from the resurrection of Jesus, he's just reduced to another good yet dead man who's really no considerable help to anybody. I mean, plainly stated, Jesus without the resurrection means that we, we and along with a few billion people around the world who worship Jesus as God, we're foolish. Like literally, this is, this is a joke apart from the resurrection. You just need to know that. And so all that to say, like the doctrine of the resurrection is without question profoundly significant. And these witnesses, these, these Christians, they, they keep going back. Like throughout Acts, guys, you're gonna see this. They keep going back to the resurrection. They, they say basically this is like a, what flipped the switch in our ma- mind and, and made us convinced that Jesus is God and Jesus is worth everything. I mean, listen to this. Chapter one, verse three. Chapter 2, verses 24 and 32. Chapter 3, verses 15 and 26. And now here, six times, all talking about the resurrection and how they saw it and it convinced them that Jesus is God. And guys, I want this to do the same thing for every single one of us today. That if you're a Christian, I mean, let's be honest, like throughout your life, you might have times where you kind of like wrestle and, and struggle through doubts. But guys, in the midst of that, remember the resurrection because it's true 
and it happened and it gives validity and it gives certainty to all that you believe. And even for those of you who are, you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're kind of wrestling with what you believe. First off, I'm glad that you're here. It's an honor. Like one of the highest honors I have is to teach you the Bible. But I want to invite you today to consider the resurrection. Because if you consider just the facts, guys, there's no denying the historical credibility of this. I mean, really, like Jesus, his, his body was never found. I mean, you consider this, that the people in opposition to Jesus in Christianity, all they had to do by ending this whole thing was just to produce a body. They, they couldn't do it. Even more, Jesus, after he died, he appeared to groups of 500 to 1,000 people after he died. He presented himself alive and that he beat death. And people went to their grave, went, were tortured confessing this. I mean, the apostles, as you consider them, like when Jesus was killed, what were, all they, what were all them doing? They were hiding. They were cowards. But then Jesus comes back to life, and he shows them that he's alive, and now all of a sudden they go from cowards to like these bold preachers, like lions, and they don't sway. Furthermore, the tomb of Jesus, like it was never enshrined. We don't even really know where the tomb of Jesus was. We have a couple guesses, right? But we don't know because it was never enshrined. Why? Because people don't care because no one's there. Jesus is alive. Like, you don't enshrine a tomb that's empty, right? People only do that when there's a body in there. Jesus was not there. We don't know. Guys, this is it. The resurrection means everything, and these witnesses are convinced of it, and it leads them to live boldly for Jesus. And I don't know about the rest of you that would call yourselves Christians, but, but I feel this in my life. That, that as I consider my story, even apart from the historical evidences of the resurrection, guys, I don't have anything in my life to explain what God has done besides the fact that Jesus is alive. I mean, really, some of you, you well, no, no one really here really knows who I once was, but guys, I have changed in such a dramatic and profound way that there's really only two things that have happened. Number one, I either had some type of psychological or mental break that somehow my mind has tricked me into thinking that I'm an utterly different person and somehow I've changed and morphed to a completely different person. Like, that's an option. That could have happened. And I hope you guys love me enough. If I am crazy, like, you'd come and just be like, you might be a little crazy, right? That could have happened. The other option, guys, is that Jesus is alive. And the power that he talks about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is the power that has intervened in my life and done great things and has changed me into a completely different person. Because a witness is convinced, and it leads to conviction as to who Jesus is, and they don't sway from that belief. And this leads to the second mark of a witness. It's this, is that a witness is courageous. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas, the, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were, were of the high priestly family. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, underline this next part, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to, cripple, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Underline this next part. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because these, these witnesses were, were so convinced of the work and the identity of Jesus that it overflowed in their lives as courage. And you see here, they're in, they're in front of these rulers and these elders and these teachers of religion who are in the same council of people who just killed Jesus. And now this council of people is now threatening Peter and John. So you can imagine, like, put yourself in Peter and John. They're probably thinking, okay, like, here we go. Like, we're going to have the same fate as Jesus. But guys, in the midst of this, they weren't cowards, but they had courage. And the question, look back to verse 7, the question that was asked by these rulers, by what authority did this miracle happen? Guys, this was a question that was just like a subtle death trap. And Peter and John, they knew it. Because if the council could, could get Peter and John to attribute this miracle of healing this, this crippled man to any other power outside of God, even though it happened, they could be sentenced to death according to the law in Deuteronomy 13. But even so, guys, they were courageous and they demonstrated this in two ways. The first, if you look back to verse 10, look at this. They proclaim the name of Jesus in the face of death. Notice they don't just answer the question by Jesus, by just saying Jesus did it. But I want you to circle in verse 10, right after that comma, right after Jesus of Nazareth, I want you to circle that comma because I, in my mind, this comma is really significant because this comma shows something of their courage, all right, that they could have just stopped and said, hey, Jesus did it. But instead of that, they go on to boldly proclaim and share the gospel of Jesus. And here's how I picture this, guys. I imagine Peter thinking, okay, like I'm in front of all of these powerful men, these, these leaders, and they're all listening to me. And I'm likely never gonna get another opportunity like this, so I need to tell them about Jesus, no matter what it costs me, because they need to know the good news and the love of God. And he tells them the gospel with the hopes of saving their souls. Now, may I just submit to you guys that we have opportunities like this all the time. As God gives us opportunities all the time with people to share the gospel of Jesus, and instead of being cowards, we need to be courageous and give the greatest gift of the greatest news to a dying world, Jesus. And even though it might be awkward, even though like, it might cost us something, it's worth it. Why is it worth it? Because it's worth it to God to save people, and somebody did that for you. It's totally worth it. Now, the second thing that showed their courage, look at verse 12. It's the way that they presented the gospel. Peter says that there's, no, there's salvation in no one else, that it's only Jesus. And in this day, for Peter to stand there and say that salvation doesn't come from being a descendant of Abraham or by following the, the law of Moses, this would have been incredibly offensive. I mean, it's much like the same way today. Guys, in our, in our day of like relativism and syncretism and pluralism and any other ism that you can add in there, right? To say that Jesus is the only way, it's gonna offend people. It's gonna get people worked up. But the truth is that there is no other way to God besides Jesus. And, and here, let me back out of this, guys. This is, not like, this is not like Christians thinking that they're better than anyone else. Like, this is not us, like, standing with a Bible and saying, you're all stupid, right? And just, like, it's not that. This is, like, literally, like, 
This is a, a dying, starving person who has just found what they need to live, now going back through all their dying, starving friends and saying, hey, I found some food. Here it is, let's go find it. Guys, this is the posture. And this is what Peter is doing. He's saying, here's Jesus. And the resurrection has proved it, guys. Everything that Jesus said is true. Strict, because he's God, he proved it with the resurrection. That's why it always goes back to the resurrection. Like without the resurrection, Paul says like, no, it's garbage. But until we find Jesus's body, this is it. He's proved it. Everything he said was true. So what did Jesus say was true? He says, I mean, there's one God and we're not him. And he's perfect, but we're not. That we all have sin in our lives, right? And you can think about that word sin and some of you guys think about like the people that protest and have fire shirts on and all this stuff, but like sin is just like anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the nature of sin is that it separates. It separates us from God and separates us from people. And so we're infected and affected by sin but in the midst of this, God loves you. And you just need to know that. God loves you. And he's given a solution to your sin problem, to my sin problem by Jesus through faith. That is, Jesus died on the cross. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. He's dying on the cross with his arms spread. It's an invitation to come to God. That you come to Jesus through faith and he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness thus bringing you to God. This is the gospel. And guys, I want you to know that this courage to speak the truth, it's not because these men are just like, like super macho and just like really manly and just fearless, but it comes from verse eight. Look, being full of the spirit. Like they're empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11. They're, they've experienced this power in Acts 1, 8 that is empowering them to be witnesses and be courageous and courage, guys, is not the absence of fear, but it's being afraid and doing it anyways. And so even though it might not be popular and you might get labeled for your belief, out of the love for God and love for people, a witness speaks, not to condemn, but to love. And as Peter does this, guys, I, I love this. These leaders recognize that they, they're not educated men. They're like, they don't have like a seminary degree. How do they, how do they speak with authority about like the Bible like this? And then they realize, oh my gosh, they're just like their master who we killed. They're looking at these men and they're saying, they're just like Jesus. They, they saw Jesus in them. And so let me just pause and just ask you the question. Are you like the Jesus that you follow? I mean, really? Are you like Jesus? Do you have the courage to live for Jesus in the face of the world that who in many ways opposes what you believe as a Christian? You love like him. A witness lives like Jesus and has courage like Jesus to tell the truth in the midst of opposition and persecution so that people can come to God. This is it, guys. Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. And the only way that's going to happen is you present the gospel. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. So a witness is marked by being convinced, having courage. And the third thing we see here is that a witness is committed Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men for that, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all that inhabitants 
of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread further among people, let us warn them to speak no more or to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Underline this next part. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all who were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Guys, in the same way that the words and works of Jesus oftentimes left like the Jewish leaders speechless, the council had nothing to say in the face of this miracle, of this healing of this man and the words from Peter. And they couldn't deny what happened. They're, they're seeing this, this crippled man now standing right next to Peter. They're seeing people understand that Jesus did this. They, they're not denying that this happened by Jesus. And so rather trying to refute this message, they decide to threaten Peter and John and say, don't speak about Jesus anymore. And because of like the Jewish law and how it worked in those days, although they, could, they were let go all right, with a warning, if they were caught again speaking of Jesus, they could be beaten with rods. They could be even killed. But I want you to notice that these witnesses, they couldn't go along with this order. Look at verse 20. They say, for we cannot speak. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In effect, what Peter and John are saying is that we're going to obey God. We're going to obey God, but we can't obey you. Because this council's command would have caused them to, to have to disobey Jesus. And since they're committed to Jesus, they kind of say, look, guys, like my hands are kind of tied. Jesus, Jesus is God. Like that, yeah, right. Jesus is God. We have to listen to him. We can't listen to you. So we got to talk about Jesus. So now the question, how in the world does this relate to your life? Right? Because many of you, you have jobs that tell you that you're going to be fired if you talk about your faith. I mean, some of you have, have told me this, right? I, we, as we've been talking about, we planted this church a year ago, and we've talked about sharing the gospel and being witnesses, and, and you've, you've talked to me, and you've told me that if I talk about Jesus or if I talk about my faith in the workplace, I'm going to be terminated, I, I, so I can't do it. And, and as I've talked with a lot of you, you, like, you, you have, you're conflicted, and, and you're even just like kind of crippled by this, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do, because hear this. The question is not if you should be committed and courageous as a witness, but how you do it. All right, it's not about like if you will open your mouth and give the gospel, but how you're going to do it. All right, so it's not about you dressing like a priest every day and carrying your Bible into board meetings, right? It's not you like going into your management meetings or your performance reviews and they ask you questions and, and you just start sharing the gospel. Like, don't, please don't do that. That makes you weird, but not a witness, right? Two W words. I know it can be confusing, but don't do that, Right? Like, literally, be great at your job. Paul says this in Colossians 3.23, like, excel. Glorify God in how you work. Be great. But consider this, guys. Maybe it's not about you doing those weird things. Maybe it's about you building relationships and actually loving people as friends in your office, just like Jesus would. Maybe it's about, about you not like walking by, by the people in your office as scenery or machinery, but you actually engaging with them for the sake of ministry to love them just as Jesus would. And maybe when you get a chance to share the gospel of Jesus with them, it doesn't happen on the clock, but it happens at your house, around the dinner table, 
because you've invested your life into your workplace where you spend the vast majority of your days and you've become friends because you've loved people so well, just like Jesus. Guys, this is what we're talking about. This is how we continue what Jesus started, to live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And so a witness is convinced, courageous, committed, and finally, guess what, guys? Another C word. Pastors are really weird with this, right? I just had to come up with another C word. So they're communal. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. I want you to circle that in your Bible. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, underline this part, they lifted their voices together to God. Okay, and so they're, they're praying, all right? They're gathering together as friends. They're, they're praying. And because of time, and someone's waving a watch in the back, right? I got to skip down to verse 29, okay? Someone's not really waving the watch. It's like, who's that? his birthday. Leave him alone. Here's what they pray. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look up, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name of power. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I want you to circle, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Guys, a witness is communal, all right? They get released from prison. They get threatened. They kind of say, hey, I don't know what to tell you. I got to talk about Jesus. And then what do they do? They go find their friends. They go find their other witnesses, their other Christian community, and they, they gather together. They commune with other witnesses in the context of community, and they commune with God in the context of prayer. See, guys, witnesses are, are like part of a team. It's the family of God. It's the church. This is how God, this is God's plan to, to save the world, to redeem the world. And guys, I want you to see this. They couldn't help but depend on God and to lean on each other to continue what Jesus started. Because the truth is, is guys, that when we're really going after the mission of God, when we're really engaged with loving people around us, and we're really engaged with trying to share the gospel with the world, we will be completely dependent on God and lean on each other for encouragement and help. And as they came together as family, they worshiped and they prayed, but they, I want you to notice, look back. Guys, they, they didn't pray for the persecution to stop. No. They prayed for greater boldness. They didn't say, like, make all this easy for us. They, they said, like, hey, this is kind of how it's going. Make us bold. Like, let us not have like a backbone like a jellyfish, like make us have a backbone of like a steel rod that we can stand in the face of persecution and opposition and proclaim the goodness and the power of Jesus. This is what they say. And guys, as they prayed this and they asked God, look at this, they asked God to empower them and the place was shaken. Like literally God did something in that moment. They're, they're having this prayer, like give us boldness. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The place is like shaken. Something happened. God changed the atmosphere. He showed up and this is what he does. When the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens. Things change, stories change, people change. We see this in Acts chapter one. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church. There's fire, there's wind. He does something. We're gonna see it in Acts chapter 17 where Paul and the early uh, Christians are walking in with him, and people are seeing Paul at a distance, and these leaders are saying, hey, there's that guy. And they don't know how to quantify what's happening around him, but they say, there's the guy that is flipping the world upside down. Something was happening around these men that were filled by the Spirit and committed to Jesus, and it was shaking. 
It was shaking things up. And guys, might I just say, like, I think this is still happening today. I know it is. I mean, you guys, look at the, the cultural landscape today in pop culture. All this stuff going on with Kanye West. You can say whatever you want. Any man that stands up and proclaims that Jesus is king and is proclaiming the gospel. Like, I don't know. I guess time will tell if he perseveres and if he's really a Christian, but anybody who's doing that, guys, he's proclaiming the gospel in boldness. He's committed to the word. Like, he's, millions of people are hearing about Jesus because this man is claiming to have a radical encounter with Jesus. He's now saying, I am not king. Jesus is king, and you need to know him. And he's speaking boldly. And stuff is happening. Like, the cultural atmosphere of our world is being shaken because of Jesus' name. It's a name of power. It's a name of authority. And this is what's happening. Like I was literally just reading this week of an article done by a group that does analytics on, on web searches. And they've reported that since Kanye was doing all of this stuff, that the Google searches about Christianity have spiked. Like, Scott, like millions of people are now like turning their head to the name of Jesus. Let me leave you with this. Because this is kind of what happens. Like, this is one of those, like, every time we open the Bible and we hear the word of God, like, we anticipate, we come eager and expectant that God is going to do great things. This stuff that we're getting into, the marks of a witness, guys, if this is actually the marks of a witness, a marks of a member of Doxa Church, God's family, in this little place called Doxa, if this becomes part of the, our lives, the cultural atmosphere of Madison will be shaken by the name of Jesus. When we release the name of Jesus and be bold and proclaim the gospel out of love, we will see amazing things. I'm all in with this. This is why I moved my family here. This is why you people, a lot of you, have gathered together. We want to see Jesus made much of in this city. We need to be convinced and committed and courageous. And these marks, guys, these marks don't come about by you trying harder, but by you being with Jesus. So the most important thing for you to do, guys, is not for you to like white knuckle it and say, you know what, I'm going to be bold as a lion. That's, that's an application. First off, get with Jesus. Before you go to the office tomorrow and try and be as bold as a lion and love people, get in your Bible and be submissive to the king and listen to him and meet with God and allow him to fill you with the spirit, to fill you with the truth of God, to make you a little bit more like Jesus so you can walk into the world that he's let you live in, in his name, to see people meet Jesus. This is the goal. Let me pray.